Hello and welcome to this episode of Coaching Chaos. Thank you so much for being here with me. Well, Christmas is just a few days away and I want to know how your Thanksgiving was with family. Did you have improved relationships? Did you stay at one end of the room because you dislike the people or the family on that end of the room or did you just not even go? Or was there a huge falling out at Thanksgiving and now Christmas is here and it's undecided quite how you're going to proceed because it's going to flat out be awkward. So we'll just stay home or we're just going to avoid it altogether for the rest of our lives because you just can't stand being around that person or your husband who you have to live with your spouse. How is it going to be this Christmas? Is it going to be joyful? Is it going to be filled with happiness? And it can be because happiness, as I have come to really learn, happiness is a choice. It's something that we absolutely make an effort to be. And it can be very difficult. How can I choose happiness when I feel such anguish? I have asked that question many times and I am learning more and more about myself and how to apply that choice truly to my life. So as Christmas comes, maybe I can say this is a last ditch effort um, in hoping that this will change your outcome of this holiday season. I think about the last time my siblings and I, we were all together for Christmas and I believe that was 2014 and it won't happen again. It will be very unlikely if it happens again. So I'm just going to put a little bit of hope in there that it could happen again. And if it does, it will be a miracle, but miracles do happen. And then I'm trying to think about the last time I was together with my family and it was just my siblings and my mom and dad. I'm trying to think about that. I think it was either 1987 or 1988 and how the years have whipped and flown past us. And I look back on that and think, why didn't I cherish that moment? Of course, I was 16 or 17 and I didn't realize that this was going to be the last Christmas together as a family before my dad left. So many shoulda, woulda, couldas, but I was a youth but I'm telling you if I know one thing, and that is to cherish these moments. Cherish these moments and don't spend them in pride, in hatefulness, in grudges. It, it truly does affect generations to come because the grudges that my siblings have for each other, their, their children don't know my children. And that's how it will always be unless there is some some point where those children of the children come back together and say what was the deal with our parents that they couldn't love each other and just be kind so here comes Christmas and here is my hope that I can leave these words with you that this Christmas will be wonderful and that you can cherish these moments because you just don't know if it's your last Christmas when these things will go away. And that is a reality of the life that we live in. It's about cherishing. And we can 
do that with charity. So I'm taking my thoughts and reflections on uh, In Praise of Those Who Save, April 2016, by Elder President Uchtdorf. And then I came upon some other thoughts and poems, and especially an Ensign article that I have shared in a previous podcast, but it is such a useful article that I'm going to use it again here because if we truly apply this, we can change generations. We can change the course of our day. We can change Christmases from this Christmas forward that they will be happy. All of the holiday and family gatherings can happen and they can be together if we apply charity. We hear charity all the time, but charity, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. Okay, if we truly apply it, we can see miracles happen. Please, please know that I come from a very broken and unhappy home. And I have seen brokenness and unhappiness in my own home, with my own children, with my spouse, and with their cousins and my husband's siblings and my siblings. It's been going on for years. And so I'm trying to apply these things and stop dissing on one another and turn your heart to God. And as we turn our heart to the Savior, like truly be converted in Him. If we truly turn our heart to our Savior, these things will naturally come into play. If we permeate our home with the spirit of worship, we will see love abide. We will experience that. If I could leave anything with you, it's to gather around, put your arms around each other and just let go of hurts. Let go of hurts. Forgiveness. So Elder Uchtdorf calls us a society of disposables. In so many societies around the world, everything seems to be disposable. Cell phones, especially. We get a newer and better one every year, it seems like. Clothes, cars, and he says even relationships. And sadly, if one of my grandbabies breaks something, I'm like, oh, it's no big deal, I'll just go get another one. And if it's an heirloom, I look at it and go, oh, well, it's just stuff. But I promise you, I do not take my relationship with my children or my siblings or my parents lightly or my relationship with you, whoever you are, I hope that I have improved enough in my life that I am a little kinder and a little softer when you come in my path or I come upon you. He says, when it comes to things of eternal importance, our marriages, our families, and our values, a mindset of replacing the original in favor of the modern can, modern can bring profound remorse. And I am a a liver. <laughs> I am a product of that, of that remorse. And I think that's why this is so incredibly important to me that I teach my children the gospel and that I, I beg them to apply the teachings to their lives so that they can know true joy. President Uchtdorf says, eternal families are not just meant to make things run more smoothly here on earth and to be cast off. 
They are the order of heaven. They are an echo of a celestial pattern and an emulation of God's eternal family. And he has over the years performed several sealing ordinances for hopeful, happy couples. And he's never met any couple that looked at each other across the altar thinking that they would end up in divorce or heartbroken. But unfortunately, yep, some do, some have. Just over time, we begin to notice little faults. We notice little faults in our spouse. We notice little faults in your sister, your best friend. You notice these faults and it begins to eat on you. And you start thinking about your own happiness and how you can be best served instead of thinking about somebody else's happiness. In such an environment, some are enticed by the tragic conclusion that their spouse isn't smart enough, fun enough, or young enough, and somehow they get the idea that this gives them the justification to start looking elsewhere. And yes, he is speaking about a spouse relationship right now, but throughout his talk, he talks about saving families and saving relationships. No matter how flat your relationship may be at the present, if you keep adding pebbles of kindness and compassion, listening, sacrifice, understanding, and selflessness, eventually a mighty pyramid will begin to grow. But if we look for imperfections in one another or irritations, we will certainly find them. We all have them. You have them. I have them. If we look for the good, we will definitely find that because everybody has good qualities too. You have them, I have them. But Satan enters in and he clouds our eyes from seeing the good and we focus on the negativity. We focus on that tiny little pebble that gets stuck in our shoe and we cannot enjoy the scenery of where we are walking and looking at the beautiful path that we are hiking upon because of that tiny little irritation in our shoe. It's completely destroyed the beauty all around us. Those who save marriages or save relationships, they pull out the weeds, they pull out the pebble and they water the flowers. They celebrate the small acts of grace that spark tender feelings of charity. Those who save marriages, those who save relationships, save future generations. In the Book of Mormon, we learn of people who had discovered the secret to happiness. For generations, there was no contention, and surely there could not be a happier people among all the people who had been created by the hand of God. How did they do it? Because of the love of God, which did dwell in the hearts of people. So whatever your family is facing, whatever you must do to solve these problems, the beginning and the end of the solution is charity, the pure love of Christ. Without this love, even seemingly perfect families will struggle. With it, with charity, families with great challenges succeed because charity never faileth. You can say that everything fails or ends at some point. It does not when you apply charity. It is true for saving marriages. It is true for saving families. So. A few podcasts ago, I talked about falling out of love and climbing back in that article from the Ensign from January 2005. So powerful. In applying charity, 
And she talks about how her relationship with her husband wasn't abusive, but they fought all the time, or at least whenever he was home, which wasn't very often. And they had a particularly nasty fight one night and she left the house. And she prayed and says, I can no longer do this. I don't even like him. We can't even be in the same room. We can't even look at each other without taking some kind of offense. Her best efforts seem to fail. And she asked Heavenly Father, what, what can I do? I've tried to be nicer to him. I cook him a fancy dinner and he doesn't even show up. He shows up late. When I do small things for him that I thought showed love, he didn't notice, which upset him all the more and upset her all the more. Despite all of her efforts, he didn't experience, she didn't experience the miraculous transformation that she was hoping for in her marriage. And after three weeks of genuinely trying, she was about to give up. So she went back to Heavenly Father and said, okay, I've tried, I've tried. And she says, can't you help me? Can't you make him a little nicer? Couldn't you just please fix him? And she was floored. In her deep, dark, troubled mind, she was floored when she very clearly heard the words, fix yourself. And she just said, how? because I don't have any problems. That's not what pride says. But insight finally arrived through gospel doctrine in lesson that day in Moroni 7, 47, 48. But charity is the pure love of Christ. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy that ye may be filled with this love, which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his son, Jesus Christ. Extend that mercy. She realized that if Jesus loves him, that he knows of good things within him, that she could definitely find something worthy to love in him too. She says that the teacher referred back to verse 48 that says, charity is a gift from the Father that is bestowed on you so let's apply it instead of ignoring it because it's not always easy it actually can be very difficult but pull that pebble out of your shoe and look at the beautiful scenery because the irritation is no longer there bothering you applying the charity is not something you can develop on your own it must be given to you so if there's a neighbor who makes you angry or someone you don't like what's the problem the problem is you don't have charity the pure love of Christ towards him or her. And again, you just need to, you just need to pray with all the energy of heart. Sometimes you're like, I don't even want to pray to get rid of this anger. I want to stay angry at that person. I feel completely justified. So you might have to back it up a little bit and pray to get rid of the anger and pray to want to pray and ask the savior to help you see that person through the savior's eyes so that you can find him or her as good and lovable. She says, I could see Mark from her husband from the Savior's perspective. I couldn't help but love him too. It seemed such an easy thing to do, much easier than anything I had tried so far. I would just ask for charity. He would give it to me and that would solve my problem. But I should have known better that Heavenly Father would require at least a little work from me. So, the thought came to her very strongly that she would start 
focusing on some good things instead of bad things. For example, she decided, okay, he looked nice today. He takes out the garbage. I mean, she was scraping the barrel, but she was trying. The next night before I went to bed, I asked for charity and was again prompted to say good things about her husband. And this was hard work. It wasn't used to focusing on the positive. She was always used to focusing on the negative, always cataloging all of his faults so that she could continually correct him, which of course was badgering him. She said, if I paid attention through the next day, I watched closely and then I was able to come up with 10 good things about him. This was a new record. This became my goal, 10 good things before I went to bed. On good days, it was easy. On bad days, the last three were along the lines of his hair looked good or I liked the jeans he wore. She did this every single night, naming 10 positive things. And every time she had a negative thought, she forced herself to find 10 more things. She realized with this record that she wasn't able to dwell on Mark's faults very often. Slowly, something wonderful was happening. She began to realize that her spouse wasn't the biggest jerk after all. He had many wonderful traits that I had overlooked or forgotten. Remember the altar that President Uchtdorf says that when these beautiful young couples kneel at it, they are happy and joyful with no anticipation of anger or sadness or trial or irritation or divorce. It all comes upon us slowly. We have one little pebble in our shoe and then another one enters in and another. We don't make any effort to take off the shoe and and hit our shoe and, and force the pebbles out. We keep the pebbles in there. In the absence of her nagging, her husband began to fix a lot of the habits that once bothered her. And pretty soon she stopped feeling that she had to be responsible for his actions and she started taking responsibility upon herself to improve herself in little areas. And one night she looked across the table at her husband and she had the most vibrant, most intense love. It was a force that hit her. It was a physical force that hit her. And she realized that she had completely changed and she had transformed her marriage and she refuses to ever let that love slip away again. She says, I make a conscious effort every day to nourish the love I have. And I feel the deepest gratitude to a patient, loving Heavenly Father for helping me fix myself. I testify that our Heavenly Father leaves the door open for these opportunities for charity to enter in. Of course, we have to open that door. We have to enter into it, into the room. Sometimes we stay outside the door because we just flat out don't want to do it. We want to hold on to that grudge. We want to hold on to that door handle. We want to hold on to that knob. We're refusing to let it go. But I also testify that it is never too late to open the door between us and our spouse, our children, our neighbor, with our siblings, with our parents, anybody we have angst towards. Open that love. Open the door. Walk into the room of charity. We can say simple things like, I love you, I am sorry, please forgive me. We can begin to create a new environment in which we live in. When a worshiping spirit permeates the home, that spirit is extended into the life of each member of the family. So I just want to share this little poem with you. If I knew that this would be the last time I would watch you sleep, 
I would hug you tighter. I would plead with the Lord to protect you. If I knew this was the last time I saw you walk out the door, I would hug you and kiss you and call you back to hug and kiss you one more time. If I knew this was the last time I would ever hear your voice in prayer, I would record every gesture, every look, every smile, every one of your words so that I could listen to it later, day after day. If I knew that this would be the last time I would spend an extra minute or two to tell you I love you instead of assuming you already knew it, if I knew this would be the last time, our last moment, I would be by your side spending the day with you instead of thinking, well, I'm sure there's other opportunities that will come by, so I will let this day go by. Of course, there will be a day to revise these things and we would have a second chance to do things right. Oh, of course, there will be another day for us to say, I love you. And certainly there will be another chance to tell each other, can I help you with anything? But in my case, there isn't one. I don't have you here with me. And today is the last day we have farewell. Therefore, I would like to say how much I love you and I hope you never forget it. Tomorrow is not promised to anyone, young or old. Today might be your last chance to hold tight to the hand of the one you love and show all that you feel. If you are waiting for tomorrow, why not do it today? Because if tomorrow never comes, you certainly will regret for the rest of your life not having spent some extra time for a smile, a conversation, because you were too busy to give that person what ended up being their last wish. Then hug tight today the one you love, your friends, your family, and whisper in their ears how much you love them and how much you want them to be close to you. Use your time today to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, or even, that was nothing, it's all right. Because tomorrow never comes, you will not have to regret today. The past doesn't come back and the future might not come. This poem was written by Norma Cornette Merrick. So let us express our love to our spouse, our children, our brothers, sisters, neighbors. We can lay down our lives for those we love, not by physically dying for them, but rather by living for them, giving of our time, always being present in their lives, serving them, being courteous, affectionate, forgiving, and showing true love for those of our family and to all men as the Savior taught, because charity never faileth. It is true for saving marriages. It is true for saving families. The great enmity enemy of charity is pride. President Uchtdorf says, pride is one of the biggest reasons marriages and families struggle. Pride is short-tempered, unkind, envious. Pride exaggerates its own strength and ignores the virtues of others. Pride is selfish and easily provoked. Pride assumes evil intent where there is none and hides its own weaknesses behind clever excuses. Pride is cynical, pessimistic, angry, and impatient. Indeed, if charity is the pure love of Christ, pride is the defining characteristic of Satan. Pride may be a common human failing, but it is not. It is not part of our spiritual heritage and it has no place among holders of the priesthood of God. Elder Uchtdorf says, life is short. Regrets can last a long time. Some will have repercussions that 
echo through eternity. What legacy do you want to leave to your posterity? One of harshness, vengeance, anger, fear, isolation, or one of love, humility, forgiveness, compassion, spiritual growth, and unity? He says, for the sake of your family relationships, for the sake of your soul, please be merciful, for mercy triumphs over judgment. Set aside pride. Sincerely apologizing to your children, your wife, your family, your friends is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. Is being right more important than fostering an environment of nurturing, healing, and love? Even when you are not at fault, perhaps especially when you are not at fault, let love conquer pride. He promises that if you do this, whatever adversity you are facing, it will pass. Because of the love of God in your hearts, contention will fade. These principles of saving relationships apply to all of us, regardless of whether we are married, divorced, widowed, or single. All of these things of saving families and relationships apply to every single one of us. We are here today because we somehow have a family. The Savior won our souls with love. Jesus Christ is our master. His work is our work. It is a saving work and it begins with us. And as we emulate his love, he will surely bless and prosper our righteous efforts to save and strengthen our families. Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of Coaching Chaos. And I hope that as you go into this next week, of Christmas that you can do so with charity and do so with the greatest love you can offer. That will be the greatest gift that you can give to your family this this season is your love. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope to see you next time. And if this was something that impressed upon you and you feel could change someone else, as well as it has changed you, Now remember, don't point fingers and think, oh, someone else needs to hear this. I'm perfectly fine. I don't need to have this applied to my life. Somebody else needs to hear this. No, no, no. That's probably pride. But I hope that you do share this and let someone else know that you love them and hope that it helps them in their relationship with whoever they are struggling with. I honestly wish I could copy and paste all of my podcasts and send it off to the people I know who particularly struggle, but I'm trying to apply them only to my life in my corner of the world and asking Heavenly Father to help me. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Shari Reynolds. See you next time on Coach and Chaos. Mm -hmm.